Overcoming adversity, doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost. Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost. Yeah, ain't no turning back. We headed straight for the stars. Yeah, oh yeah, we overcoming adversity, doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost. Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost. Yeah, ain't no turning back. We headed straight for the stars. Yeah, oh yeah. Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast. It's all about transformational growth and having a resilient mindset. Before we get started, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. I'm your host, Michael Allison, and today we have the founder and CEO for the nonprofit, New Black Wall Street. He is highly sought after a motivational speaker and recognized in the community as an activist. He grew up in a uh, nine uh, family uh, single home with his mom and his dad. He's also the father of five kids who has faced uh, divorce and homelessness. Let's welcome to the stage my good friend, Brother Speaker Jermaine. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Thank you for having me. Brother, thank you so much for being here with me, man. Um, I've been so inspired by your story. Um, it's been a magnificent journey um, based off what I've read about you, what I've um, spoken to you about over the phone. I've been thoroughly impressed from your book that you shared with me too, man. So. Just been thoroughly impressed with your journey, where, you, where you've been from and where you are going to now with um, all the things that you got playing going on. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and giving me an opportunity. And uh, your story has inspired me as well. So thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. So let's jump into it, man. Um, I know before you got to the level, level where you're at now and the status where you're at now to being a sought after speaker and so much more, man, your, your journey started somewhere. If you can, man, can you take us uh, from the beginnings for yourself? Yes, sir. So um, born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Uh, my journey began with what I like to use as a metaphor, the word question. The word question, I use quest I on. And at 17 years old, I had a lot of questions about life. And at that time, there was no internet. You actually had to go to the library and sit down and read. And that began my quest to get information about the things I had been taught. And from there, I would go every Friday and I would sit from the time it opened until it closed. And I would do that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I did that for about eight years. And from that, I began to have more and more questions about life. And so my journey has brought me to the point of being able to understand that the purpose of life is to live a purposeful life. That's the outcome. So what books were you reading at that time? I began to read books about, of all things, natural childbirth, because my girlfriend at the time was pregnant and I delivered my oldest daughter, Samaya Malia Shabazz at 22 years old. She was born at home, natural childbirth. Her mother and her family thought that I was crazy. Uh, and that was a long time ago, but uh, she shot out 1.15 in the morning healthy, vibrant, and strong, and doing well today. So that was the first subject that I was studying natural childbirth. And then from there, I began to study biology, chemistry, and herbology. And then from there, it led me to being an herbalist. And then from there, it led me to discover the different schools of thought, the different religious schools of thought, philosophies, ideologies, different things. I was trying to find solutions. And so that was the beginning of my journey in regards to the subjects. What was it like to deliver your first child? Wow. You know, I had worked so hard. I was so disciplined and dedicated on the mom. Every morsel of bread that went in her mouth, I had to know what it was. 
and we would walk around the University of Southern California, USC, fight on. We would do that religiously. And then what would happen was I would make sure she would have every herb, the water, the exercise, the breathing, and we had set up for everything. Well, nature has a way of saying, uh, thank you for your plan, but I have a different plan. We decided to go take a drive and subsequently we got back in the evening time and she said to me, I don't feel like laying in the bed. Let's just lay down in the living room on the floor. I just want to be close to the floor. I said, okay. We dozed off. Next thing you know, she said, Jermaine. And I said, yeah. She said, my stomach is tightening up. I said, really? She said, yeah. And my daughter shot out right there on the floor. Wow. And so it was an amazing, an amazing, amazing event. And so, yeah, that was, um, that uh, that definitely can transform you. So she was healthy, vibrant, and strong, seven and a half pounds, and uh, she is uh, doing great to this day. Never been to the doctor, and uh, doing amazing. All right, congratulations, Doctor Jermaine. <laughs> hey, man, um, I wanted to uh, jump into this a little bit more. So, can you tell me a little bit more about your upbringing, um, growing up with? Um, all of your siblings that we had nine siblings, you told me. And what was that like uh, with your parents as well? Absolutely. So my mother from Louisiana, my father from Mississippi came to California in 61. Uh, subsequently, they had 10 children, eight boys and two girls. I'm the youngest boy. Uh, the year that I was born, my father began to have a lot of difficulty in regards to his health. And there was a, an accident that happened. And so my father wasn't able to be there for me physically, but through his hard work, he provided the mortgage from his jobs for us to have a place to live. I love sports, but a transformational moment happened to me in the fifth grade that I'll never forget. I was called right. upon to read and I wasn't able to read and all the kids laughed at me. I went home and I told my mom and she said, that's okay, I know what to do. She said, your favorite basketball player is Magic Johnson and George Iceman Gerving, right? I said, absolutely. She says, okay. We went to the library and she got us a book of both of them. And every day after school, I would stand up in front of her and read and read and read. Then she made me read the LA Times. The following year in the sixth grade, I got an award for the most improved reading of a student. And from there, I began to understand that if you can attach your passion, then that which you do is not challenging because it aids and abets you being able to develop a skill. And that was the beginning. And that was one of the most important and impactful things about my childhood. I love sports. I was, I was a phenom in sports. Yet four years old, I could play basketball, football, and baseball. I was so fast. I would wake up in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, I would dribble the ball, dribble the tennis ball, dribble the ball, dribble the tennis ball. I was amazing in sports. That was my passion. And so sports was used as a tool to guide me and channel me. And so it led me onto that journey. And so my upbringing was full of love. It was full of care. And it led me to the points to where I'm at today. So my foundation was amazing. And I'm so thankful that I had a wise mother and a loving father. Wasn't able to be there physically, but he did love me. Nice. Can you touch on a little bit, um, you know, like, I see like kids nowadays um, struggle with like their reading, their math and so on and so forth. When those kids laughed at you and um, picked on you while you were in school and your mom said, all right, we're going to solve this problem. 
for you, what was like your takeaway from that in regards to that feeling and that emotion at that particular time? Can you share that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was an emotion of embarrassment because there was a little girl in the class that I liked. Her name was Christy. I'll never forget her. And so I was embarrassed. And so when I went home, being able to talk to my mom, I really didn't understand the depth of that emotion, but that's what I felt. In regards to when children laugh at you, you know, we must begin to understand that education is not just based upon reading and writing. It's not based upon just the external. The authenticity of education is to be able to put the child in a position for not pouring in, but create an environment that is conducive for them to express externally. So the authenticity of education is not saying, I'm gonna take my child to this building. Your responsibility is to educate them. No, education is the universe. We're in the university of learning and we're never out of school. So in understanding that process, the communication with the parents, with the siblings, we're always learning. Right. And the important thing that we must put into our children from day one is that life is a school. Life is about learning. And if we could start every child with the mindset to understand that nothing is happening to you, everything is happening through you to inspire, inform, and uplift you if we get out of the world of effects into the world of cause, then we're starting our children out with the emotional intelligence that they need to endure any mocking or ridiculing in any phase that they go through. That is the supreme conversation that every parent must have with their child. Life is a school. You are not a victim, but everything that shows up in your day. So when mom picks you up from school and she says, how was your day? We don't, we don't need to just say a cliche. Oh, it was good. It was cool. It was that. No, 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 no. I really want to know how was your day because you provide me with an opportunity to teach you because you're trying to go where I've already been. Right. And if you tell me somebody mocked you and ridiculed you, I probably have had that experience. So now I can speak into you. I can pour into you and bring you back to a mental equilibrium so that you'll be at your best. I want to know, son, I want to know, daughter, how was your day? Emotional intelligence must be addressed on a daily by a parent. 100%, man, I agree with that. I, uh, I think about that with my son. And um, I used to let him get away with that question. And he used to be like, oh, it's fine. It's OK. And we immediately had to stop that because what I started realizing, those emotions were playing out at home. And I realized that there was something missing. There was a disconnect. And I started getting much more inquisitive with asking him, being truthful and being authentic and um, just speaking much more life into him in regards to like you have a voice, that sort of thing. So um, thank you for sharing that, man. I, I wanted to touch on something real fast, bro. Um, so your parents moved from the South to California. During those times, why was that? You know, I asked my father many times. Uh, he first left Mississippi to go to Detroit because during the 50s, they were hiring black people for work. My father was trying to find a job. Right. A relative and a friend told him that they were hiring black people in California. They were building one of the largest freeways, the 110 freeway from San Pedro all the way to Pasadena, and they were hiring black people. And so my father went there and he got a job working on the freeway. He learned a skill, brick masonry. 
From there, he went downtown Los Angeles and started working at a donut place called Cooper Donuts. From there, he worked himself up, became manager. From there, my father started shooting pool. He loved pool and he used to hustle and collect his money. He saved his money and brought his first income property in Los Angeles. Then he moved his family further south in the city of Carson, where I grew up, the city of talent. And so that's where we end up staying. And so my father was a visionary, an entrepreneur, a great man. And um, that I'm glad that it went through that process because I'll I, I be honest with you, bro. I'm a spoiled California boy to the fullest. I don't like nothing under 65. <laughs> So uh, you went off to college. Uh, can you tell me um, any other um, struggles you faced before entering into college or some of the struggles you faced while in college? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that happened to me uh, was in the 12th grade. I was so good in basketball, but all of a sudden I had this freak accident with my ankle and it just would not heal. No matter what we did, time, ice, therapy, it just would not heal. But I began to understand something deeper, that I had a different calling that it was a metaphysical stoppage, so to speak, that my physical body was in tune with my deeper purpose. And so once I began to study and speak, my ankle swelling went down and healed, and I've had no problem with it since that particular time. So going into junior college, El Camino Junior College, I studied different subjects. But what happened was I met a young lady fell in love she became pregnant and i was thrust into desire and focusing on taking care of someone else so i left college and just began focusing on taking care of my child i was still in the intellectual pursuit and here's one of the things i want to say about that question <clears throat> one of the travesties about great speakers and leaders in our community from malcolm x to dr king to yusuf bin Minyakinen to Sheikh Anta Diab to Chancellor Williams to all these great people, Dick Gregory, et cetera, et cetera. There seems to be an intellectual disconnect from service to embracing the thought of prosperity. And, what the, and what the disconnect is, looking at America's economic structure of capitalism, we have somehow misequated prosperity as being connected to embracing and keeping in power the white power structure of economics. Mm -hmm. Above the law of America and above every economic system in the world, that is the law of God. Mm -hmm. In understanding prosperity, you see, rich is loud, wealth, is the accumulation of intellectual capital, the expression of your talent, your skill, and your gift. Wealth is a proper acknowledgement and a relationship with your creator. Wealth is a proper relationship with your family member, with your community. Wealth is a holistic system through which we begin to understand that greed and avarice is not connected to the root of prosperity because God created a system of prosperity that we can tap into. And so the disconnect, at one time, I'll tell you the story really quick that I heard. Malcolm was in Philadelphia and his wife, Queen Betty, who I love and admire, she called 
Malcolm. And she said, the girls are hungry. We don't have any food. And he said, okay, I'm gonna try to do what I can. He got a job as a painter and he started painting in Philadelphia. His teacher, Elijah Muhammad, spoke with him and said, Malcolm, do you want to be a painter or paint the hearts of men with truth? And at that time, that was accepted. The reality was, of it was is that he could have been both. You see, we are evolving as a people. And I'm sorry so long on this point, but I really want to hit this point. We are evolving as a people. And so now we're at a point where that mindset was available, but it hadn't downloaded yet to the masses. Mm -hmm. Now we must begin to understand that when you go to the earth and you take any school of thought, you take a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, an atheist, an agnostic, you take any school of thought and you give every person a seed, put that seed in the earth and walk away from it. Now, they didn't create the sun. They didn't create the air. They didn't create the water. They didn't create the law of germination. But they following a system. When they walk away, the law of germination takes place. Over a season of time, it gives birth not to one apple, but an abundance of apples. That's the law of prosperity. Because the essence of prosperity, before there was currency, the exchange of dollars and coins, the prosperity was rooted in the soil for us to receive what? Sustenance. The disconnect has been thinking, well, if I do something, I'm keeping the oppressive structure in place versus understanding how prosperity works. We're at a different level of awareness and consciousness right now. It is our birthright to be healthy and to be wealthy. Because when you do what you love to do, you allow yourself to experience the abundance of the universe. And the totality of the goal should always be, if I can get time freedom, then my passion and being service oriented to feed and clothe and do the work in the highways and the byways, that's the calling right there. Because I'm free in my time. Now I wanna be free in my intellectual giving. High level conversation, bro. So why is uh why is that lacking now? It's lacking now because we have to give birth to new leadership. We have to have a paradigm shift. So if we look at collectively our community, we must have a mental upgrade. We must begin to understand that if you stand up and speak, if you say that you are from any organization, here is the solution. If we take one school of thought, the Nation of Islam, another school of thought, the NAACP, the church, the mosque, the synagogue, if we take all schools of thought and we say, we wanna ask you to inject yourself into a survey, we want the data from every one of your organization to find out what works. We have to have a mind shift in our community that we don't follow, participate, or give into anything without data that shows that it works. We're not following people just to follow. This makes absolutely no sense. We need to see the results. If someone says, our organization knows God. Okay, great. Person says, our organization was started by God. Okay, even better. 
So now my question to you is, can we see the results? Because if an organization can produce data to show how we can affect marriages and how we can help them to last, we need that information. If an organization can show their members are healthier and we've rid ourselves of high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes, okay, we need that data. If an organization can show that we have eradicated poverty consciousness, that our members have the highest percentage of home ownership, that our members have the highest FICA score, okay, this is wonderful, then we need this data so we can give it to our community so we can change the game. We change the game by demanding all organizations to produce data to show their effectiveness, and then we apply it to the larger community. We're changing the game. We cannot allow any more for the people to teach conspiracy theories without holding them accountable on, okay, you say this, now what is the solution? We can't go to a church, a mosque, and a synagogue and spend 45 minutes talking about the power of evil and 15 minutes talking about the power of God. So I want to follow up on that. Um, so you're an activist. What uh, empowered you to get into that space of being a, an activist and sharing your message? Absolutely. You know, I've always had this spiritual and intercollection with Malcolm X, my hero. And so reading the autobiography of Malcolm X at 17 years old changed my life. And during that same time in New York, a young, precious 17-year-old black boy by the name of Yusef Hawkins. Mind you now, there was no internet. So I had to walk to the store every Sunday and buy the New York Times to find out. New, uh, Yusef Hawkins was a precious little black boy that was just walking home. And he passed through what is called Bensonhurst. A white Italian mob murdered him. That changed my life. And from there, I've decided to become an activist. And then two months later, I went inside of the Delamo Mall and they had what is called Walden Bookstore. I read every book there that they had on black history, black culture. I got upset and I wrote a letter to the corporate office asking them to put more black books. To my surprise, three months later, they had a whole black history section. I was so excited. I started <laughs> buying every book. And from there, I began my journey. And then I became an activist, speaking out and doing things. And so now, I'm at a point now where after all these years, since 1989, I have synthesized a school of thought that I know through testing works and we can get results in our community. I'm a change agent. As a change agent, did you ever experience anything with um, being an activist? Um, did, like, did you get anyone like oppressing like your beliefs, your thoughts, your movement? Um, on your journey? I'm not for sure I understand the question. Can you say it again, please? Yeah, did you ever get like anyone um, just against whatever you're talking about and just um, trying to challenge you based off um, what, you're, what you're speaking about? Oh yeah, all the time. And the reason that that is, is because there's a level of comfort in being a victim. Mm -hmm. You see, because unfortunately there's gonna be another police shooting, right? Okay, so we as a people are not going to solve anything by slogans. We shall overcome was a slogan of the 60s. Black power was a slogan of the 70s. Political power was a slogan of the 80s. 
say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. These are slogan, Black Lives Matter. That's slogans. A slogan is not a solution. It's a slogan. So how do we bring about solutions? So a shooting happens. The community is upset. It's injustice. Then the conspiracy theorists, they're going to jump on YouTube and social media and talk about conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories. It's an absolute waste of time. So they get very angry with me when I say this. A solution in understanding where you are. Now, political has a power. Metaphysical has a power. What is a solution? How do we stop a police shooting? Well, it's very simple. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's very simple. Let me explain to you how this works. If you live in a city and the police are called peace officers, they receive tax dollars. Okay. The number one thing that a capitalist society understands is economic empowerment. If we're on the cups of two to three trillion dollars, then we have to use our sphere of income to affect change. So that means there have to be a collective agreement, a collective mindset that we are going to make a decision that we're not going to tolerate this anymore. We're not going to be the entertainers of the world anymore. There's going to be unity in everything that we say and we do. We're not going to hold signs, we shall overcome black life. Uh-uh. We're going to show you economic power. We're going to bring our family together. How we solve a problem in our community is that we come back to the table. We take on the adage that it takes a village to raise our community. So we begin to see each other not as opponents, but we begin to see each other as family. That's root number one. Number two, economic sanctions upon those who did this to a member of our community. Number three, we're not gonna settle out of court. And what we're going to do is, and I know this seems harsh, I know this seems harsh, but I'm gonna tell you something. When you walk down the street and a dog sees you, if that dog senses fear, they're gonna come after you. When that dog doesn't sense any fear, they're gonna leave you alone. We need a hundred to a thousand black men to stand up in every community and hold a press conference and say to the police, listen, not only do our lives matter, but we are not gonna tolerate the shooting of our people anymore. Are we understood? That's all that we need to say. We're not playing anymore. When we stand up, you notice this brother? Have you ever noticed that when the NRA has their meetings? Have you ever noticed when they pass laws for anybody to get a gun? They don't care, no background check, 15 years old, you can get a gun, you can do whatever you wanna do, they don't care. Florida Tech, they don't care, open, they can do whatever you wanna do. But when you see a black militia walking in Akron, Ohio, and it's hundreds of black people called with guns, all of a sudden, it's just like back in the 70s when Ronald Reagan was the governor of California, when the Black Panthers put guns and they walk towards the Sacramento, they say, oh no, we gotta have new gun laws. We gotta stop it. We gotta, have you ever noticed that? Why? Because they recognize that some accountability is happening. We have to stand up and be strong economically and physically. 
And every black person in America has to stand up and say, we're not going to sing a song, rap a lyric, dunk a ball. We're going to catch a ball. We're not going to throw a ball. We're not going to do nothing. We're demanding that these murders stop now. And with one voice, we say to the FBI, to the police, and to everybody in America, no more killing of our people. When we stand up and do that, they would say, wow, they've finally woken up and we can't do this no more. A precious little boy knocks on a door and a man shoots him, walks outside and shoot him again? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. You have to understand, our lives have to matter to us first. We have to be nonviolent with ourselves first. We have to recognize that we're not opponents first. In order to shift the dominant community, the micro community must shift in how we are. We must be nonviolent with ourselves. When we begin to love and respect and honor ourselves, and I say this to all people, when we can put down the guns and we can't intellectually solve a problem among ourselves, but we can do old school way of going to the park and fight with these, at least you can live to fight another day. You can fight with a black eye. You can live with a black eye, okay? But in regards to being able to understand you're not mature enough to bring a solution right now, then that's a child adolescent mindset solution that we want to give our young people. Put down the guns and fight it out until you can grow up to understand or get around somebody that can help you to understand. But the things that we're demanding of the larger community, we must first demand of ourselves. Then the violence will stop. Yeah, man, I, I think that there's like always going to be like other agendas that's going on in this world. But I do believe solutions are from within. Like, you know, what I'm saying it starts with us. Yes. You can't depend on nobody else to fix your problems when you got to fix yourself first. You know what I mean? I. Um, I was thinking. Of all the things that like has taken place as you bring, you're chronicling every single thing that took place, like in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and all these things. And I was just thinking like, you're right. There's all these different like slogans that has taken place and they all just fall off to deaf ears, man. You're so 100% correct. I wanted to uh, touch on this for a second. Um, when you were um, raising your kids and um, you're being a father, did that affect anything for yourself in regards to um, your businesses, your relationship with your wife or um, the relationship with your kids? Did you ex um, experience any setbacks with those things that were going on for you? Yeah, absolutely. At the crux of me raising my children, I still had poverty consciousness. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the laws of abundance and how it grew in the universe. And so I was angry at the power structure but I would work little jobs. I would keep a little job just to feed and clothe and take care of my children. But I didn't understand abundance and a prosperity. So that affected my relationship with my children. That affected the relationship with, with my wife. However, I grew to that understanding of how the laws of prosperity work. And so over a period of time, my nine-year-old son, Prince, said to me two weeks ago, he said, Dad, I said, yes, Prince. He said, do you know what $5,000 investment would have did 20 years ago on Amazon? Said, so my, my son and my daughter, Mirakai, who just turned four years old, they're being raised different. Right. You know? So as I came into this knowledge, I began to share it, share it. 
And so that's where I'm at now. But yeah, it really did affect when they were younger and I was younger and they had poverty consciousness uh, over these last, I would say last five years. I really have invested myself in understanding the world of finance and how through the spiritual laws of prosperity and the physical laws of prosperity and marrying those two. And so I've grown tremendously over these last five years. Wow. Man, it's amazing how like times have changed with all these things that kids um, are so knowledgeable now, man, with um, all these things that are right at their fingertips, bro. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, we, when we had uh, introduced you um, to start the show, um, you, had share with, you had shared with me before um, your, you experienced homelessness. I know that it had to have been a troubling time for you, brother. So if you can talk about that situation and how you got into that and how you got out of that. Absolutely. So in 2008, I was working for a company called Avalon Laboratories and they came to all of us and told us next month, we move in a whole outfit to Mexico. And what we did, we, we designed hospital equipment. I love that job. I love that job because they, you know, they would tell you, uh, you get here when you want, as long as you finish your work by the end of the week and we're going to pay you your check. And so, man, I would get there at 4.30 in the morning and I start working. I'd go back, pick my children up, take them to school. And then I'd go back and do some more work. I love, love, love that job. And so when it shut down, I was devastated. Well, after they shut down, my mom passed. And I got into a deep depression. And after that, I couldn't get out of the funk. And I lost my home. And I got into a hotel. Couldn't get a job. It was uh, the crash, the economic crash, real estate crash. And so I ended up staying in my car and I had my children with me and I fought and did all that I could. I ended up having to just take my children back to their mom and I slept in my car for a long time. And I never forget, it was a weekday and I was in the heart of LA, really, really tough neighborhood. And I got out of my car and I stood up and uh this guy said hey hey i look he's like jermaine i was like yeah the old friend of mine i hadn't seen in years named Dwayne. Mm -hmm. and Dwayne came i was like man what you doing over here what's going on i was like man just he's like man talk to me what's going on long story short he said come on follow me he took me to long beach he paid for me to stay at a holiday inn for a full month he said just take the next three days take a shower and sleep and rest get you something to eat and then call me. I called him. Dwayne died the next day of a heart attack. Oh my God. I never forget I was so devastated. He was one of the most ginger, just amazing, just gentle, gentle soul. Just, oh man, I was devastated. I went, I got kicked out of the Holiday Inn and I lost my sense of being again. Stayed back in my car, was trying to get a job. And one of the things that I learned was the three eyes of success. The brain, imagination. The heart, inspiration. The stomach, intuition. And I began to fill out applications and I got three little security jobs. And I said, I'm just gonna work around the clock. And that's all I did was stay on my security jobs, being able to get back up on my feet. 
what I learned was my thoughts had become so self-defeating. Mm -hmm. What I learned was, is that the brain, the eyes don't see, the brain sees. And what the brain sees is only 50% of reality because the mm -hmm. universe is moving so fast. Mm -hmm. And so our interpretation is what locks us into the matrix of victimization based mm. upon what we see. But the universe is unfolding for us. That which we see is in the world of effects. It's not in the world of cause. And as I begin to observe my circumstance, I begin to understand the deeper underlying meaning of that which my eyes are seeing. I begin to drink more water. I begin to practice breath work. I begin to understand that my brain is connected to the mind. That mine is not brain, brain is not mine. That my brain needs nutrition. That the thoughts inside of my head are being fed by my physical self, which is the limited matrix self, or the thoughts from the whispering of my soul, which is the essence of who and what I am. That timeless, spaceless dimension that can be burnt, can be wet, can be touched. That spirit, the essence of who and what I am that is yearning for me to reach my potential. I feed it by oxygen to the brain. I feed it by water because the predominance of my brain is water. Predominance of my body is water. Now my brain needs nutrition. So an avocado is brain food, omega-3. A walnut is a replica of the brain. That's omega-3. That's brain food. I begin to understand blueberries is brain food. And as I begin to feed my brain, I begin to understand it was affecting my thoughts. And I begin to understand that I can't do better until I know better, but knowledge is a prerequisite of change, massive action and allowing the universe to signal back to me what I'm doing in the physical realm so that I can modify that, tweak that, overcome that. Then I begin to understand that it wasn't laugh out loud, but it was a metaphor for leap over limitation. Then I began to understand that I wasn't doing my gift. And when I am a gift to the world, then the world gifts back to me. So it is with the metaphysical understanding of life itself that we didn't create the lungs of the planet representing the trees. It gives us and don't ask for anything in return. The sun gives us and don't ask anything for return. The sun gives off life, light, energy, force, and power. So in the giveness of the universe, we begin to understand the principles of life, that life is about service. And when you give from a pure heart, then your heart can beat into a new rhythm of reality for you because you're in a place of gratitude. You're in a great humility. You're in a place of understanding. That's the power that allowed me to transform my life. The three eyes of success, oxygen, water, and minerals. Just think about this. The number three is tied up in every human being, sun, moon, and stars. The three people that's connected, God, force, power, universe, whatever we want to call it, man and woman. That's the essence of the agency of giving birth to life. And in that life, what happens? Three trimesters. The head turns down in the seventh month, anticipation of birth. When we come out, infant, child, adult, the number three. Three is connected with life. Oxygen, water, minerals. 
that's the essence of life. You connect with those, you change your mental chemistry. And when you change your mental chemistry, now you can think right and you can begin changing your life. All right, brother. Thank you for that masterclass that you just dropped on us. Right now. <laughs> hey, man. Um, that was amazing for you, that explanation. Um, I've never heard it broken down like that in regards to identifying that as a matrix, but that was an um, amazing explanation. I, I wanted to uh, tap into this. Um, so you and your uh, significant other went your own separate ways and you found yourself um, homeless, living in a hotel, got yourself back on your feet and um, you figured it out. So I wanted to know, was that the, the pivotal point in your life where you said enough is enough or did you experience some other um, trials and tribulations where you said enough was enough? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, living in my car, I knew that I had to take massive action. Massive action is so important. So I began to fill out every application that I could and the lowest hanging fruit were security jobs. What happened during that time in 2008, because the economy was going down, there was a lot of rioting and looting. There was a lot of issues. So the security industry was booming at that time. Mm -hmm. So for me, I realized that that was a thing that I could do and I like security. So I got three security jobs and I worked around the clock. I would sleep in my car, have my uniform on for two hours, get up and go to the next job, get up, and go to the next job, get up. And I just did that nonstop until I was able to get back up on my feet. I realized that's just what I had to do. I would eat in my car, sleep in my car. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do what I had to do, you know, in that particular time, you know, over a period of time, finally, slowly but surely, I was able to find my way out of it and get into a place, you know, and so, that was, um, that brother was about, that was about a year and a half process wow. because I had to take care of my children. You know, so the money that was coming in, my philosophy is this, you first take care of your children. Right. That, that's the number one responsibility as a man. If you're homeless, you're homeless, okay? You, there, there's no such thing in my mindset, I gotta get myself together before I take care of my children. Uh-uh, I don't mm -hmm. believe in that. I cannot eat unless I know my babies are eating. You understand? I'm not yeah. sitting there eating a sandwich at no restaurant. I'm nothing. I don't care about the shoes on my feet. When I lay down to make those babies, that's my responsibility. I don't no new shoes on my feet. I got to make sure my babies have shoes first. So that money was coming out. So it took me a while to be able to get it together so that I could get a place. So about a year and a half, I went through that process. I used to, hey man, let me tell you something. I worked at the Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles, and this cemetery is very, very well known and popular. Some of the most famous people that are buried there, Desi Arnaz, Charlie Chaplin, a lot of famous people. And so one night I was in my little cart and we had to drive around to protect it because people are just really interesting. They would break into the cemetery and try to steal artifacts from the place. So <laughs> driving on my little scooter and these young kids, they're gothics. They got gothics and they're there trying to steal stuff. And so I said to them, hey man, listen, help me to understand this. What are y'all doing? <laughs> we can steal this stuff. I say, so you mean to tell me you guys are gonna break into a cemetery, 
steal stuff off these people thing and sell it. Hey man, listen, we got to hustle, hustle for y'all. We got to have a conversation. So what y'all come over to my security booth so I can get y'all life because this is crazy. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how this gets in your mind that this is what you're gonna do. And uh, I started talking to them and became their friend. And uh, I just realized, I was like, you know what? I have to start teaching. Here I am a security guard teaching kids not to steal from a cemetery. <laughs> so that convinced me I had to start getting to teaching, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the funniest stories I ever heard. <laughs> True story, man. True story. Oh, my God. All right, man. Um, so you found your purpose in speaking and a gift of that. And you educated yourself at a very, very, very young age. And you said, I'm going to pump that into this company called New Black Wall Street. Tell us about that. Yeah. In 2015, I watched this documentary on Black Wall Street. I'd uh -huh. never heard information. And I was blown away at the historical aspect and was wondering why I never heard about it. Subsequently, I began to study everything I could get my hands on. And in 2016, I set up my nonprofit organization, New BLK Wall Street. BLK stands for Business Leadership and Knowledge. And so we formed a group of people together to focus on entrepreneurship. And so we would do cash mobs, things to support black businesses. And I was trying to figure out a way in which we could get some grants, some funding to sponsor it. And from there, I began to understand more about economic understanding. And I went to the 100 year centennial uh, of Black Wall Street. And as I walked up and down the street, I could still feel the fear in the air in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. I went to the grave site and I met the two survivors uh, that were this there, 103 and 101 years old. And it was a life-changing experience. I came back from that more focused and more determined. And so trying to put together a team of people that really wanted to focus on it, because I believe this, if we can tap into economic empowerment that is connected to creativity, then creativity becomes a catalyst for change. Because the first thing that we have a thought of is our idea. Most ideas die within four hours because within that four hour lapse, that thought comes in the mind, well, I don't have the capital. We have to rise above that mindset to understand that we are not to give birth to doubt, but to give birth to the creativity so that we could connect with the cash, right? Mindset. And so we come with a, a, a metaphor. We come with an understanding that money stands for my own natural energy yield and that the money is an expression. And so New Black Wall Street exists to change the mindset of people so that we can be a catalyst for change in our community. Uh, for the listeners um, that never heard of uh, Black Wall Street, can you give us a quick education on what Black Wall Street is or was? Absolutely. So O.W. Gurley was for originally from Arkansas and he received an allotment, 40 acres of land in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
he went there in the early 1900s and it was a vacant parts of land and he would invite other people there and he met with other entrepreneurs and so they begin to set up businesses and shops and in 1921 at the height of it do you know that in Tulsa Oklahoma in 1921 according to the NAACP research department that the black dollar circulated a hundred times a hundred it circulated the black dollar maybe now circulates eight to nine times. It's getting better. So there were over 300 black owned businesses. There were banks, there were movie theaters. All of this was burned down during the Tulsa riots in 1921, when a false accusation was made against a young black man. It was operating an elevator. It was a race riot that burned it to the ground. That was one of the most successful groups of black entrepreneurship and black people ever to exist. And so there's a lot of lessons out of the people that were there. A lot, a lot of lessons. And so we're thankful now that it has been acknowledged in history and it's our responsibility to keep it going. And so for me, I want to really teach black people and all people, because I believe this, look, if we could play basketball and everybody buys a ticket to come watch us, that's great. Then those same people that like that entertainment, I want you to buy a ticket to economic entertainment. I want you to invest in the notion that if we live on a block and you see a house on fire, don't be so foolish to think that you don't need to go get your water hose and help me to put this house that's on fire five houses from you. If we in the black community have issues, then the Hispanic, Asian, white, and all community have issues too. Economic empowerment is good for every fabric of America because you don't want people <clears throat> walking around with fear, desperation, and doubt. Economic empowerment for the black community is good for every community. Can you tell me, um, with this uh, company, what does uh, success look like for you like what are your goals in regards to having this to be a successful company absolutely so what we want to do is implement our after school program we would like to get when every city of the especially the major cities of america with financial advisors and to be able to teach financial literacy to our young people i never forget when my daughter was nine years old my oldest daughter samaya i took her at nine years old to go study kabbalah and at the Kabbalah Center, they had seven, eight, nine-year-old little Jewish children learning about credit. I was blown away. This was in the early 1990s, right? Mm -hmm. So our goal is to give all members of our community the intellectual capital of entrepreneurship. Our goal is for our young people to understand when I give you your Social Security card, I'm not just giving you a car to incur debt. We don't want our young people to sign in applications at 18 years old and incurring 80, 90, 100, $200,000 student loan debt. No, we want to change the paradigm. We want them to get authorized users on our credit. And we want our young people to have 720 or 745 scores. We want our young people to already have an LLC, an S chapter. We are, want our young people to already have a 501c3 and understand how to play this economic game. We already want them to have custodial accounts. 
We already want them attached to index funds. We already want them attached to municipal bonds. We already want them to understand treasury bills. We want intellectual capital merged into the psyche of every member of our community. This is what we want. We want 35 to 45 million people to understand capitalism and how to play this game so we could be successful. We want every person in the barbershop that know every skill position on the Dallas Cowboys, that know every skill position on the Alabama football. We want you to know every skill and position. I'm going to close with this. You know why a lot of people were so angry at OJ? It didn't have anything to do with Nicole's murder. You know why they were so mad? They wow. were so mad because OJ in college had friends that taught him to put together an ironclad financial situation so that they can't pierce his veil of economic upliftment. They were upset that he used their systems to protect him. That's intellectual superiority when it comes to capitalism. That's what we should know. I, I, I got to say this. Three months ago, Chadwick Boseman, a great actor, played in numerous films. Do you know? Do you know? Okay. that he didn't have his finances in order yeah. and the state of California got $1.3 million of the death tax? Brother, you can get a revocable trust for $499. There wasn't nobody around you to give you that knowledge, that information. The first thing that we have to do is get economic capital information to change the game. That's what we want to do. Yeah, the last guy I just uh, interviewed, I just dropped uh, his podcast, um, um, DeMont, and um, that's what his company does is uh, set up trusts. <clears throat> and he was speaking of the importance of that, and he had to learn it from his mentor um, out there in uh, California because no one told him that at a, at a young age. So yeah. I think it's super, super, super important for you to uh, incorporate that into your business. So many other financial um so many financial uh, assets and tools and strategies that you're talking about here, man. So uh, that is excellent. I wanted to ask you this, man. So it took you a point to uh, get to this particular mindset. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause like you're, you just shared your struggles, cemetery, homelessness, divorce, and, um, your mindset now is so resilient. I could I could hear it and I know with know what you're talking about. Can you talk to me about the importance of our mindset? I don't know if you can hear me, but I, I can't hear you. I can hear you. You can hear me? Yes. I couldn't hear the question. I'm sorry. Yeah, brother, I just want you to just tell me the importance of our mindset because um you speak so um so much about that in regards to how people should be thinking. So I just want you to just elaborate on the importance of mindset. I can't hear. I can't hear. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes.
Can you hear me? I, I can't hear you. Yep, I can hear you. Hey, hop, hop out and then hop back in. What's that? Hop out, then hop back in. Okay, I did that right now. All right. Test, test, test. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, good. I don't know what happened. All right. So let's uh, pick it back up. Um, the question I was going to ask you was around uh, mindset. And then um, I'll just have uh, my editors cut it. I think we it stopped at like 50. If you look up to the left, you can see where we're talking. So I think it stopped at like 54. Okay. And we'll and I'll tell them to pick it up at uh fifty eight and wherever we start off here. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Mindset. Let me, so, let me let me let me ask the question. Let me okay. ask the question, and, we, and then um I'll just tell them to pick it up uh from uh the question. Okay. All right. Ready? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. So you spoke a lot about uh, mindset, right? And I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit about the importance of developing a mindset at such a young age, just like you did. And you're speaking towards the economics and all these things, all of these strategies and all of these assets that we could equip ourselves with to prepare ourselves um, in this uh, in this day and time, in this economic um, space that we're living in. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when we're born, we're born with what is called mirror neurons. So when the brain is forming in the womb, the brain is situated so that we begin our first stage of learning. From zero to three is our biggest space of learning. Now let's separate the two here. My brain is that which I carry. When I close my eyes, I can visualize a lemon and if i focus my visualization on that lemon i can enhance it to the point to where my mouth will begin to salivate just from the memory neurologically of that lemon now if i open up my head there's no lemon that's there mine is the field brain is the local brain is not mine mine is not brain 
from zero to seven, the mirror neurons are mirroring everything that is in our sphere. There's an intellectual download. The child has no filter. Neurologically, they're not programmed yet. So everything that they see and they hear, they mirror, okay? Now, as we are intellectually programmed, right about nine years old, this voice begins to develop, the voice inside of us. That comes from the external voices that we've heard over the year that have downloaded into our subconscious mind. So now we're playing back these audio tapes that are in our subconscious mind. For a child, it's so important to help them to know that creativity is important in their expression. So important to let a child know, my job as a parent is not to tell you what to think, but to show you how to have a healthy thought. The expression of that. Now, as we get older, it's so important to understand proper nutrition. You hear a lot of people talking about mindset. Hey man, you can go hear the GOAT, Anthony Robbins, beyond a shadow of a doubt is the GOAT. There's nobody even close for the last 40 years. No one has affected more people's lives than Anthony Robbins. You can go hear Les Brown. You can go hear whoever you want to hear. And you can be fired up on Saturday, fired up on Sunday, Monday, a little bit less, Tuesday, a little bit less, on Wednesday, a little bit less. By Thursday, you're right back. That rubber band is just expanding and pop came right back. Why? Because until we deal with the root of mindset, how do you build the mind? You see, the supreme symbol of intelligence is the question mark. So how do you build a new mindset? You don't go externally and see somebody and think, oh, that's it. No, your thoughts of lack and limitation must be shift. How do we shift it? You know, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. So Jermaine, if you can, man, tell me a little bit about uh, NLP, if you could expound on that in regards to how it deals with our mindsets. Yes, sir. So popularized in the late 60s and early 70s, neuro-linguistic programming, neuro dealing with the neurons, language. These two are so important because the programming connects with the words that we say to ourselves. There's a book out and it's entitled, Your Body Believes Every Word That You Say, because every word has a vibration. Every word has an impact. Our subconscious mind never sleeps. Therefore, we are participating in the programming. When we were children, from zero to seven, there's a neurological programming. From zero to three is the biggest growth spurt in our life unless we make an a conscious effort to change our thinking. But the downloads happen during that particular time. And we experience the brains is in a state of mirror neurons, which means that which we see, we mimic. Right. At a time, we're able to impact our world based upon affirmations, incantations, positive statements, listening to <clears throat> our voice and positive teaching as we're sleeping, getting the brain waves in a different state, the normal brain waves of beta, everyday consciousness action. As the brain waves begin to slow down, we enter into what is called alpha, a more relaxed, slower frequency, but a higher creative frequency. Then we get into de delta, 
a slower frequency that's connected with a higher level of manifestation, creativity, expression. Then we enter in what is called theta. And that is a high, high vibration where we enter into the dream state. So neuro-linguistic programming is software for the mind to help us to achieve things that we want to achieve in our lives. The fact of it is, is this, for many years, individuals have been trying to affect their physical life by implementing physical tools. Mm -hmm. We can't do better until we know better. Knowledge is a prerequisite of change. We're able to affect the physical matter by understanding everything in this physical universe was first a thought. And so when we understand the thought atmosphere, we can begin to create mental equivalents. And the mental equivalents are going to be connected with our aspiration. Writing out a goal is a powerful tool. But when we write out a goal, we should listen to the voice inside of our head if the voice believes that is attainable. That's why short-term goals are so important. When we break down the goals of life as we do breaking down our food, so that when we're hungry and there's a plate of food there, they may have five different compartments of this food. No matter how hungry you are, you can't shove all the food in your mouth. Right. Savage. But you can take one bite at a time, right? And right. take one bite at a time, you're going to slowly but surely deal with your hunger. So it is with a goal. A goal without a plan is a wish. The way that we create a bridge toward that goal is by writing out the goal, listening to the voice. Does the voice say, oh, man, you ain't going to lose no hundred pounds. Come on, man. Oh, man, you're not going to manifest a million dollars in 30 days. Listen to the voice because that's where your belief is at at that time. So how do you change that voice? You change that voice by writing out your short-term goal. And then the voice will say, you know what? I can believe that you're going to lose 25 pounds. I can believe that. But a hundred, I really better than you know yourself. You ain't gonna get up every morning and run. You ain't gonna put down that liquor on the weekend. You're not gonna put away that that cake. So find that level. That's your belief. Writing out the short term goal, listening, breaking down your goal in short terms, and taking massive action. Now life is going to give us back a signal. This is one of the most important tools about life. Nothing is happening to you. Everything is happening through you to uplift you. The universe is giving you a signal. And the signal is the people, places, things, and circumstances through the law of vibration in your feet. They are cosmic actors letting you know the story that you believe at that time and helping you to understand you have another play to make. So never become stuck in the field of creativity by a play that you executed and you didn't get back from the universe what you thought. The universe is sending you a signal, not a failure, but this universe is sending you a signal to help you to understand that you need to leap over the limitation and then you'll be able to laugh out loud at the fact that you learned 
because we learn in the womb of that which is appeared to be failure. But failure in the book of life is nothing more than the footnotes to create an environment conducive for us to realize the dream, the goal. And so understanding that life always give us a signal. And from that signal, we have to reformulate a plan. If we can put our thoughts over that which we aspire to do, and we can make a conscious effort to speak back to the negative thoughts, don't let the negative programming run your life. You can simply rate a recording of yourself. And as you go to sleep, press the button and let it play all night long, affirmations. Then when you wake up in the morning time, do what Anthony Robbins teaches, that is incantations. Stand up and let every part of your body feel the belief of what you're saying. Just don't say, I am now manifesting money day and night. I am now a owner of a new car. I am now a owner of a new house. Those are words and it's powerful. But when you stand up and you say the words, I am affirming it in the most positive, get your whole body involved in the affirmation. That's an incantation. Now we're able to see results. So neuro-linguistic programming is a process through which we could use the brain and language to create a different software to download a different reality in our lives. Man, I love that uh, explanation. So part of my program teaches about NLP, Neuro Linguist Programming. And what I found so interesting as I was trying to tie it to some of the, the teaching was around uh, what we like take in. So if we like focus on the news that, that uh, will sell you whole bunch of things that you probably don't need to be listening to. Or if you're paying attention to so much to uh, social media and all these things are filtering through your head, like you could take away all these negative things and then that's where, you, where your mind starts running away with all of these negative thoughts. Another thing around that I thought about too as, as well is, I want you to, if you could expound on it a little bit is, as much as some of these negative, negative thoughts are inside of our minds, can you talk about like the people that's all around us, our circle, our network, and how they influence um, these types of uh, negative talks or limiting beliefs and some of the things that may be tied to like uh, imposter syndrome? Absolutely. So <clears throat> in most cases, we're born by ourselves. In most cases, we're going to check out by ourselves. Our family and our friends is like getting on an old school bus. You see them every morning. They're going to school. They're going to work. Hey, good morning, bus driver. Hey, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You sit down on the bus. You may talk about the sports event last night. You may have small conversation about going to a job interview. But when it's your time and your stop is coming, you have to get off that bus. I don't care how much you like the people on the bus. It's time for you to get off. Your individualism is never lost even when you're on the bus and you're having great conversation. Even if this you're single and it's the most beautiful man, most beautiful woman on the bus, hey man, I'm sorry. You gotta hear him try to get the phone number or do something, but you gotta get off that bus. It's your stop. Okay. Now you're gonna be crazy enough to miss your stop, then we got some other issues to work on. But <laughs> is that friends have a place. You see, associates have a place. It is so important to understand the community of self. Your best friend is always going to 
your passion. Your best friend is your passion. And your best friend being your passion is going to connect with your divine purpose. The family of yourself is your right brain creativity, left brain dealing with everything that's physical, and your heart. From these three, this is your family of creativity. You can do the weave with these three. You can, you can manifest anything you want with those three friends. Every other friend that is external is mirroring back to you certain levels of mature or immature aspects of your personality that you have to manifest. Friendship through the years is beautiful and special. Hey, we went to elementary school together. We still associates. We still friends. My cousin is my associate, is my friend. The supreme investment in life is the community of self and the relationship of self. If, in fact, you have people who don't have the same aspiration as you, we can put them in different categories. I'm familiar with them. But the holistic aspect of who I am and who they are is connected to my passion because my passion is my passport to experience prosperity. And it's a journey that everybody can take. So I can understand they have a different outlook on life. My associates, my friends, they have a different goals and ambitions. My associates, my friends, our friendship is tied to certain things. And I respect that. But I am my best friend. To believe in myself is a supreme investment. No relationship is superior than the relationship with your thoughts, your passion, and your innermost desires. When you wake up in the morning time, you should say, I am at my best, as I do. And the reason that I say that is, I am the best version of myself at every given moment. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to experience challenges in life, but I am the best at that moment. And my friends... My right brain, my left brain, and my passion, they always believe me. That's the important thing. So, like I said, Jermaine, man, um, your uh, transformation has been phenomenal with um, the story that you've um, shared with me, man. And it's, it's filled with so much gratitude that I hear with all of the things that you've been manifesting in your life. Can you speak a little bit about, like, uh, some of the challenges that you may be recently facing or you have been through that we may have not touched on so far throughout this conversation that has led to the transformation of the person that you are now today. Absolutely. You know, since I was 17 years old, I lived the life of wanting to help out the community. And I've dedicated my life 24 7, 1448 to dedicating to uplifting a community. It wasn't until 2016 that I began to realize something, that the answer was always me. I spent so many years trying to get grant money for nonprofits. I spent so many years trying to get entertainers to donate money to different calls. I spent so many years trying to get people to understand what I believe was a solution. So my challenge over the years has been money. And until I invested intellectual capital into understanding the spiritual world of money, mm -hmm. the mental world of money, and the physical world of money to where my life began to change, I realized that a problem is nothing more than a statement that requires a solution. So the most recent challenges is to be able to overcome those obstacles because the greatest thing that we could do 
for the poor is to not to be one of them. Very simple. Mm -hmm. The greatest thing that we can do for the wealthy is to be one of them. Mm -hmm. So in that particular context, we have to understand that money is an acronym for my own natural energy yield. You see, my objective is so that I can buy back my time. Sure. If I can buy back my time, then I can invest in shaping and forming and uplifting people. If I wake up in the morning time and my goal that day is to go down to town Los Angeles to go feed the homeless, that's a great goal. But in the midst of feeding, I want to find out who wants to learn how to feed themselves. Mm. Going downtown Los Angeles and giving away clothes, I want to find out who wants to clothe themselves. Mm. And going downtown Los Angeles and helping people with mental health, I want to find out those who are interested in understanding how to develop a healthy mindset. And once I finish my day, I want to go back to my home and make sure that my mortgage is paid. I want to make sure that the car that I'm driving is safe and secure and has insurance. I want to make sure that I have an emergency fund. I want to make sure that I have a seven or 800 FICA score. I want to make sure that I have business credit. I want to make sure that I have the seven streams of income, that I got dividends paying me. I've got interest paying me. I have municipal bonds. I have index. I have investments set up that's recurring, recurring, recurring for myself. So in that particular context, the breakthrough for me has been investing into the world of finance, being a student of the world of finance and understanding the matrix of the capitalistic system of America and how to master it and use it for your benefit. Not standing on the sidelines condemning it, not standing on the sidelines judging it, but mastering it so that I can buy back my time. That's what I've been doing with. Man, thank you for sharing that. Um, if you could uh, expound a little bit, uh, what are your thoughts in regards to like how America is like structured and you say it's like a capitalistic type of system? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. America is a corporation and we understand that it's a corporation. We're not upset that it's a corporation. A corporation is nothing more than an extension of self. It's an artificial person. It has rules. It has laws. The United States has a president, vice president. It is situated and based in Washington, D.C., which unfortunately is not able to participate in the voting structure, but they definitely got to pay their taxes. Puerto Rico as well. So when we understand America, America has a product. America has constituents. America has a system in which it orchestrates through a banking system, a lending system. So a corporation true indeed that's what it is understanding the financial institutions so credit is a game right finance is a game and we use the word game in the spiritual sense game stands for god angels miracles and energy above america there is a higher law the spiritual and mental law of manifestation so i advise every person that they should have those instruments you should have a private LLC in Wyoming and Delaware, Nevada or Wyoming, if you choose to. You should have a 501c3, okay? You should definitely have to have a trust. You definitely have to have whole life or index insurance. You definitely have to put yourself in a position to take advantage of the structure of America. It's a very important book everyone should read and study. 
It's called What Would the Rockefellers Do? Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a free book. You can go to Google and download it for free. You can go to YouTube and watch it on, on YouTube. And understanding the principles of wealth, understanding how wealth was accumulated in America through insurance. You see, understanding that system and how it works and how it operates. I'm not a condemner of America. The judicial system is not perfect. The financial system is not perfect, but I'm here in this country. So I'm going to use all the tools that's available to me so that I could live a life based upon my own personal values. And my personal values is love and respect for God, love and respect for humanity, being a dedicated father, working in the community and shedding, spreading knowledge and love. Those are my values. And so with those systems, hey, man, if I would have knew all this stuff at 17, I know now at 51, man, I'd be a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. I just didn't know. But now right. that I know, absolutely taking massive action. You see, we have to become a student, a perpetual student. If the FICA score goes from 350 to 850, baby, if we want to play the game in the 700s, we got to understand the game of credit and how it's played. All right. We have to understand what America capitalist system is. And there are a lot of opportunities there. No one is stopping us from being certified as a minority business owner and getting government contracts. Nobody's stopping us. Nobody is stopping us from having excellent credit and getting funding. Nobody is stopping us to put ourselves in a position to understand how to really use the LLC, how to set up your trust, have three divisions of your LLC. Nobody's stopping us from getting the S chapter and having to flow through, avoid double taxation. Nobody is stopping us to invest in our insurance and take that money out tax-free to set up multiple businesses. Nobody is stopping us. The most powerful tool in the universe is a made-up mind. I tell all the conspiracy people all the time, hey, man, if we can get rid of all the teacher in our community and every single person would focus on developing their, the health of their brain and the health of their if every person would get massive action toward their goals we would be a community of manifestors not a community of criers and beggars and whiners and believing in conspiracy theories the conspiracy theories people monetize off of fear that's how they make their money off of fear versus teaching happiness and joy and how we can overcome it. Because here's the last point. Man, if the narrative is true that we've been in this country for 400 years, which I don't believe, we were here before that, but let's just say the we. Then we overcome everything and nothing they've done has to destroy us. So what does that let you know? There's no, slavery's not a conspiracy. The Tuskegee experiment, what is a conspiracy? The fascination of our leaders is a conspiracy. AIDS is not a conspiracy. COVID is not a conspiracy. Police brutality is not a conspiracy. It is what it is. So intelligent person and an intelligent people will look at America as an economic system and say, okay, how can I master this? Versus people saying, you see, the reason that Michael Jordan is, is a billionaire is because you know they want him to be. The reason that Oprah is a billionaire is because they want, you see, Jay-Z, you see, because that's how he got $2 billion. Oh, okay. See, Diddy is a sellout. That's how he got $2 billion. Really? They didn't work? They don't have no talent? They don't have no plan? You see, the powers that be don't want them to be billionaires. Says who? Says who? 
Well, where do we get all these conspiracy theories from? The conspiracy theories tell that because they are mad and frustrated within their own thoughts that they can't manifest that level of money. There is nothing more powerful than a made-up mind. We live in a universe. We live in a capitalist society of America. Not perfect, but I tell you what, every day and every way, getting better and better. Every day you see a news story. Some young black getting out of college, buying and owning six Chick-fil-A's. Every day you see a story of a black woman with five kids graduating from Harvard and then getting a job working for Oprah or Steve Harvey. Every day you see black entrepreneurship expanding. In fact, about it, the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs in America are black women. Our wealth is tripling and growing every day. There's no conspiracy to stop that. We're getting better and better every day, man. Give us the money. Stop with the conspiracy theory. That's all I got to say. Yeah, man. I think a lot of times when people when people are tied to conspiracy theories, you'll you'll realize the key word that they use is like why. You know what I mean? And it whenever you hear someone use the word why a lot, it's either out of complaining or operating out of fear, opposed to what when you so like when you when you like operate out of what you like take massive action. You figure out a way. Your brain stimulates in regards to like what you need to do, the actions you need to take. I wanted to uh, jump into something, um, if you would. So speaking of all of these things that um, you, you you just spoke about, which I, I know is a part of um, your company, can you talk about the importance of sharing this information, if you can, uh, either with your current family that you have now or just with families in the community as an as activist? Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. You know, I want to share this with you. My mom passed away in 2006. Her mom passed away in 1986. My uncle, my grandmother's son, disappeared in Louisiana in 1943, and no one ever knew where he went. He left as a teenager. Last Saturday, I found him. And it was an amazing event. He passed away, but they never knew what happened to him. I found him. One of the things that I'm seeking to get investment for is to launch a new program called Family, Friends, and Finance. Families come together around the table and we have a dinner. I stand up and I do a PowerPoint and implement their family tree. And then I break down their historical family tree. Then I answer three questions in analyzing their family. The entrepreneurship that runs through the bloodline of that family, the health aspect that runs through the bloodline of that family, and the theme of that family. What is the underwriting theme of that family? And then at the end, the family is able to get their T-shirts that I've designed, and it has a barcode on the back they could scan, and it has their family story that I did an audiobook version on it that they could purchase at the end of the event. Mm -hmm. We want to have these family meetings. We want to bring people back to the table of conversation. We want to help people to understand the conversations around finance and friends and family is central for our growth and our development. Intellectual capital is so important. Sharing the information. We need more book clubs around entrepreneurship. I want to start a national book club called the Manifestation Book Club. And in this book club, we're going to have books that we're going to read each month. 
We're going to come together each month. But the difference between this book club is that we're going to announce manifestation of each members. And we want everybody that's a member in this book club to have at least a 740 FICA score. If you don't have it, we're going to help you to get it. And then we're going to read books. And then we're going to show the growth and the development. This is the thing that's missing in our community. We don't produce data. People have been going to the church, the mosque, the synagogue, Hebrew Israelite for years. And we don't have any data to prove any of this works. We just, we just don't have anything. We don't know if it works or not. If we had data to show that in the Christian church, the, the percentage of marriages is the Christian church producing successful marriages, is the mosque, is the synagogue, who is it? And then once we find out about it in our community who is doing that, we focus on their school of thought. Who in our community is producing the most entrepreneurs? Who in our community is producing the people that is lowering the crime rate in our community? Who in our community is helping people to stay out of prison? We need data. We need documents to show what is effective, what is working. We cannot say, oh, one day Jesus is coming. Okay. One day Allah is coming. All right. One day Jehovah is coming. Okay. That may all be true. But as we're living here right now, the question is, what school of thought can affect us while we're living to change our structure? And that's what we need to do because we have to stop this war between each other. You know, I got to say this one last point really quick. You know, it really bothers me when I see these podcasts hurting each other and talking bad about each other. Look, man, the woman is not my enemy. How could a woman be my enemy? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. That just absolutely makes no sense. She's a part of our family. Men are not the enemy. We're part of the family. Just because we can't coexist don't mean that we're enemies. It simply means we don't have a higher knowledge on how to coexist with each other. That's all that it is. Any problem in your life is the universe telling you not to give up, but to study, to get the knowledge so that you can go further. We're not enemies of each other. We're family and we have to have conversations around family. And anybody that's listening, my name is Speaker Jermaine. I want you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I want to connect with you. I'm looking for people that want to connect so we can make these things into a national reality. We need a national book club of results. And I want to put my program out there. Family, friends, and finance all around America. We want to. So that's my answer. Thank you, man. So before we get ready to wrap up, I know you got to get out of here. What are some um, key advice that you would like to share with our listeners based off like your childhood upbringing, all of your life experience as a business owner, and um, just some of your life experience as, a, as an adult too as well? What is it that you'd like to um, leave with our listeners? Here it is. I, nor you, didn't come into this life to receive a runner-up trophy. I, nor you, didn't come into this life to receive a runner-up trophy. Never give up on life. Life is a beautiful and a special thing. I am 51 years old. I've had so many frustrations and disappointments. People would have gave up over a hundred times. Don't you ever give up on you. The beauty of life is not in the measurement of numbers. The beauty of life is in the measurement and the growth and the development of the level of manifestations that touches the heart of another person. Your soul touching another soul 
is the most rewarding thing in life. I've had a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. But the greatest thing that you could do is to be an advocate, is to be a patron of another soul. We are spiritual beings having a spiritual experience in this physical body. Never give up on you. I, nor you, didn't come into this life to receive a runner-up trophy. I am Speaker Jermaine, and I am at my best, and so are you. Uh, Speaker Jermaine, you know what? One question just popped in my mind, and I have to ask this question, brother. If Malcolm X, MLK, all of these uh, great leaders from back then was alive today, what is it you think that um, they would be doing in this day and time in this world that we're living in right now? And I also want to hear your um, thoughts in regards to would you be a part of what they would be doing, supporting them, or part of whatever movement they have going on? It's very interesting you asked me that question. I wrote a book two, two years ago called 39. And in the book 39, I answered that question. I haven't published the book yet because I kind of want to turn it into a play. Okay. But, but the reason that I named it 39 is because Malcolm El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz was assassinated at 39. And Dr. King was assassinated at 39. Mm -hmm. So what I do in the book and the play is I show that they live a totally different life. Dr. King leaves America and he goes to become a statesman in Britain. And him mm -hmm. and Karim raise their daughters and they live a happy forever life. Malcolm moves to Africa and becomes, becomes an international jazz player. And because he loved jazz so much, that's just what he wanted to do. That's how he wanted to live his life. They had given our community 39 years of their life, their wisdom, their sacrifice. They gave their life. But in his second life, they gave the life back to their children, to their wives, to their daughters, to their sons. That's what they did. If they were alive today in the literal and they were here, I truly believe that Dr. King was moving towards politics. I truly believe that Malcolm was moving towards nationalism and wanted to affect change. I believe that both of them would be eagerly engaged in the justice for us as a people and all people. And 110%, I would be there. You know, just before Malcolm was assassinated, he went to go meet with Dr. King. Dr. King wasn't able to be there, so he met with Coretta Scott King in the church. And they were forming an organization to merge together and to address certain things. So I believe that their wives had a good energy with each other. I believe they had a good energy with each other. I believe that they were going to end up working with each other to bring about a solution for our community, uh, putting forth the political, the social economic aspect of it. And absolutely, I would be a part of it in every single way. Absolutely, man. Thank you for sharing that, man. Uh, my last question. Now I have two more. Uh, my last one of my second to last question is when it's all said and done, uh, Speaker Jermaine, what is uh, the legacy that you want to leave behind for your family and for your community? First, for my children, I want to leave them a legacy of intellectual capital. I leave them my library, which has over 800 books. Wow. Subject. The second thing that I leave them is my love. I've written a book for all of my children to read when I do make my transition that they haven't seen as of yet. The next thing that I leave my children is a responsibility. I'm 51 years old. 
I believe to eat wrong and to drink and party and act crazy your whole life is irresponsible. I have not burdened my children. In fact about it, I plan on running a marathon when I'm 100 years old. So I take care of myself. I haven't burdened my children by taking me back and forth to the doctor on medication and operations and surgery and all of that. I got all my body parts. I got all my faculties. I'm healthy, vibrant, and strong. So I'm going to leave my children an amazing inheritance through my insurance policy that they would be able to take that and go further and create even further generational wealth. I leave my children a legacy that I never gave up. I leave my children a legacy that I've been fighting and uplifting our community since I was 17 years old, being an advocate for Yousef Hawkins in the summer of 1989, and I've never shirked my responsibility for our community, ever. I leave my children a legacy that I love all people and that I aspire for this world to be healed. I leave my children a legacy that, you know, the purpose of life is to live a purposeful life, and they will be able to say, our dad did that. That's my legacy for them. Thank you, man. That was beautiful. Speaker Jermaine, if anybody wanted to book you for a speaking engagement, get you on their podcast, do business with you, work with you now or in the near future, how can they get a hold of you and work with you, brother? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So you can call my office at area code 562-305-9143. That's 562-305-9143. My email is speaker Germain with a J, speaker, J-E-R-M-A-I-N-E, at Gmail, speaker Jermaine at Gmail. And I'm at speaker Jermaine on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Be more than happy to talk with you. I definitely want to be on podcasts and speak and get my message out there to the world. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel because I need to get a thousand subscribers. I need to get a thousand subscribers so I can go live on YouTube and get my brand and get my message out there to the world. And I just want to let you all know that I thank you for listening. I thank you for your time, brother. I thank you for in interviewing me and giving me this opportunity to speak. And I want everyone to know this. The harder you throw down the ball, the higher it's going to rise. Do not judge your life through your eyes. Judge your life through the lens of the outcome. You're going to have lessons in life. But your job is to leap over limitation. LOL. I'm at my best and so are you. Thank you. Speaker Jermaine, thank you so much for being on the Adversity Academy podcast, man. Um, when we met, I already told you, bro, um, I was so uh, amazed based off the book that you share with me and just based off uh, your journey and all the things that you've been through. So I just want to tell you, thank you for coming on this platform and uh, sharing your information, wealth of information, um, being uh, transparent, being vulnerable in regards to some of the things that you've been through. But just leaving up on our uh, listeners a great wealth of uh, knowledge that I know that will be here until the end of time. So thank you for that, my brother. Thank you for being here, man. I love you, bro. I appreciate you, man. Love you as well. Thank you, brother. Look forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Until next time, guys, we drop episodes uh, weekly. We love you. Peace. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier. Thank God for clarity.